Hungry Trilobite Podcast would like to start by acknowledging these fine conventions. SoonerCon. Oklahoma's longest-running pop culture convention is ready to return in 2023. SoonerCon 31 will be held in Norman, Oklahoma on June 30th through July 2nd, 2023. Gaming, cosplay, autographs, and an art auction await. Visit SoonerCon.com for more details. The Hellmouth Convention where fandoms bleed together. Evoking the center of the mystical convergence, our event includes fandoms and travelers from all over the world. Like the Hellmouth itself, things gravitate toward it that you might not find elsewhere. The celebration is scheduled for June 9th through 11th, 2023, in Los Angeles, California. Go to thehellmouth.org to plan your visit. Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bossig, and I'm going to be your host. I would like to especially welcome any new listeners from the town of Bedford, Virginia. In the show today, I'm going to sit down with Jeremy Miller, and the two of us are going to discuss the exciting things that are happening at the Bedford International Film Festival. In my mind, loving independent film, what the Bedford International Film Festival is all about is the heart and soul of indie film. I'd like to talk about that with Jeremy. I would like to talk about it at the end of the show, and I would like to get started right now. On tap today, we have Jeremy Miller. How are you doing this fine evening? I am doing spectacular. How are you doing? Doing great. You're looking great there. Uh, Jeremy, now my audience is mostly going to know you from your acting, uh, things like Growing Pains and Snoopy, but you took a step back from that a few years ago and are now a chef. Yes. I, I mean, I still act and I still perform when the opportunities arise. I just don't chase it on a daily basis. Um, the waiting game and living in that on a daily basis is not real healthy for me. So I, you know, I moved away probably ooh, 20 years ago or so. And I went to culinary school and um, man, it's just been, it's been a great journey because I still get to act, which I'm still really passionate about. But I also have my second passion, which is cooking. And um, yeah, I get to do catering and private cooking parties and all this stuff. So I like to bring that up with a lot of the people I talked about who are just getting into the creative field that they really want to get into, whether that be acting, writing, filmmaking, what have you. It's like you can do it as much as life will allow you to. Just because you aren't the big star, the number one person on the newspapers doesn't mean you can't chase that passion. Absolutely. I mean, that's, I, I still am, I mean, because I love being in front of the camera. Anytime someone sends me a script, I still have plenty of friends in the industry who keep me in mind. They'll send me a script and say, hey, I got this part. We would love for you to do this one. Would you be interested? And I'll read it over. And if it looks like something I really want to do, then yeah, absolutely. And I still get to, you know, scratch that itch and, um, you know, explore that passion. Um, but on a day-to-day -day basis, I'm also chasing multiple other things, you know, because again, even if you're auditioning every day, even if you are, I mean, unless you are the Brad Pitt, the Leo DiCaprio or those guys, you never know when that next gig is coming, when that next film, that next show, it's just, it's a waiting game. It really is. No matter how well you're doing, no matter how good the auditions go, you know, you're still sitting there wondering where that next paycheck is going to come from. So I'm very blessed that I have two things that I'm really, really passionate about that I can chase. You know, when I'm not acting and when I'm not doing that, I can do my cooking and I love it. Those are the 
two places I feel the most at home is in front of the camera or behind the stove. What I just heard from you a lot, but I, but I especially heard that because you have the setup you have and because you've set up several different paths for yourself, you have the option of taking or leaving scripts based on how much you like them. Absolutely. Um, I, I don't have to accept every little thing that comes through. Um, I mean, I believe me, I'm not I'm not sitting here waiting for the next only, you know, Academy Award winning role or whatever. I've done some really fun, goofy horror things and some, but it's just a matter of, do I like it? Do I want to participate? Do I think it'll be fun for people to watch or, you know, does it, does it offer something I think people will really enjoy? Yeah, that's, that's really awesome. And I hope it's something a lot of people can take away from that. The cooking especially perks my interest because I love to cook. I love to eat, as you can probably guess by, um, Thank yeah. You. <laughs> So when it comes to that particular passion, what drives you? What what motivates you? What do you like to eat? I guess is the better way to phrase it. Um, I like to eat everything. There is very, very little um, besides vegan food. I'm not trying to offend any vegans. I just, sorry, I'm a classically trained French chef. Butter, milk, cream, all the things that I love, you know, mm -hmm. you guys won't eat. So it's not it's not a cuisine I really enjoy. But other than that, I eat it all. I mean, I get, I'm so ADD with what I want to eat as well as what I want to cook. So there's no real one style that I stick to. Um, I went to Cordon Bleu and was classically French trained. I studied in China for a while. I've studied Indian cooking, Southeast Asian cooking. Um, I've always had a really close affinity um, for cooking Italian. I've always said I probably should have been born Italian because that cuisine and style of cooking just hits home for me and really connects. So it just all depends. But I mean, I was motivated by my grandmother. My grandma was the one who, you know, began my journey as a, as a cook, as a chef. She was a self-trained chef. And when in growing up, before I was 10 years old, every year for Thanksgiving, for New Year's and for Easter, my grandmother would cook for the entire neighborhood, basically. Wow. Um, we would have between two and 300 people probably come through her house during the day. We would cook, you know, like two 20 or 30 pound turkeys, a couple 30 pound hams and, you know, sides and pies for days. And it was her way of showing her love. But it was also, this is the thing that touched me the most was that anyone could come. If you didn't have somewhere to be on that holiday, anyone could come to my grandmother. So we had the local homeless guys who would come and get a meal and they were very respectful. They would have been welcome to stay and hang out with everybody. But again, a lot of them weren't the cleanest. They knew they didn't smell so good. They knew they didn't, you know, they'd come in, they'd get a plate, they'd thank my grandma and then they'd go on their way. But it was her way of showing love for the community and giving back. And that's what I got from that. That's my favorite part of cooking. As much as I love to eat great food, as much as I, I mean, I absolutely adore great food. It's getting to cook for others. Um, Anthony Bourdain probably said it best. And yes, it's a little vulgar, but it is Anthony Bourdain. He said, you know, short of oral sex, cooking for someone is probably the most unselfish way of showing you love someone. And I'll take that. And it's always been my, that's always been kind of how I've thought about it. It's my way of expressing my love for other people, as well as people I don't even know and showing them that I care and getting to see them enjoy something that I created. 
Yeah. Way, way back in like episode six, we had Nana Visitor from Star Trek Deep Space Nine on who wrote a cookbook. And I, I, I was gushing about it because the thing that struck me about it was her talking about how cooking brought people together and how the ability to throw a meal and have that a situation. You could get people who barely knew each other or people that had been siblings their whole lives and you all felt the same at that table. And that was some, that's an energy I'm dealing with right now. That is absolutely the truth. I mean, if you look at any gathering, you know, in, I mean, you could be in a, a $20 million mansion and you've got a big party going on. Where is everybody congregating? They're congregating in the kitchen with the cook, asking what they can help out with. It's the place everybody really does come together. Um, and I've always loved that about cooking. It's one of those things that, and once you finally get that meal together, it gives a, it's a relaxing sensation that people realize they can just sit back enjoy the the meal itself the the presentation the company the conversation absolutely it's it's really it's one of the few times where people can sit down and just let everything else go and you know be together forget the differences forget whatever issues you may be having and just enjoy each other's company i'll give you another one um you know i've been in recovery for a long time now and um it's actually a recovery group that I meet with occasionally, who it was started as an actual barbecue. Basically, the guy started the get together. He wanted to gather people in recovery together to try and help each other and support each other. But he realized that people relaxed more and felt more at home if you provided them with a meal. So the whole meeting is based around basically grilling out together and just sitting around and talking and seeing how everybody's been doing. But the meal is the first thing and the central part of that. And it does. We have new people who come into these meetings all the time, you know, these get-togethers and support. And, I mean, people who are at the lowest points or been in recovery for a long time, different points in their life, but they come into a group of maybe 30, 40 guys that they don't know and immediately are put at ease because they're handed a plate of food, you know, asked how they're doing, and they get to sit down and just relax. And that's one of the really, really beautiful things about cooking for people. It's that that basic element of hospitality where you come in, you see somebody's needs, they immediately know they're safe there. Absolutely. Fact, on another episode way back when we were talking and somebody made the great idea, uh, I, I don't know if it was myself or the guest, but they were saying that in this world now where we we're so used to arguing with people online, offline, whatever, food is like the one thing you can disagree on strongly and still not feel the need to go to them, <laughs> to go to war with somebody over it. Absolutely true. I, I mean, people now will talk about, you know, pineapple on pizza and it, that's as bad as it gets really. <laughs> exactly. And, um, you know, it's, Given you get a lot of pushback with different, um, more extreme diets, things like that. Some people who are uh, vegan or vegetarian get very extremist and they want to be more argumentative. But in general, that's absolutely true. I mean, people, you know, I mean, you you have great discussions, more like the old barstool talk of arguing with your friends. Who's got the best, you know, hoagie in New York? Who's got the best pizza, New York or Chicago? Whatever it is. Yeah, people are passionate about it. Nobody's losing friends over. Back in, you know, the Pennsylvania days, I would have people like Pat's versus Gino's cheesesteaks. I yep. mean, that was a conversation. Absolutely. And I've had them both and love them both. So. <laughs> How can you not? It's a cheesesteak. That's where I always come back to. It's like, either if you pick the loser, you're still having a good meal. Absolutely.
And now I've heard about your using your cooking to benefit the Bedford International Film Festival. Yes, um, this is going to be a really awesome event we got coming up. Um, okay. It's actually going to be December 17th and 18th in Bedford, Virginia. And about four years ago, um, I got hooked up with the Bedford International Film Festival, which is just an absolutely great group. Um, they're really trying to provide opportunities for aspiring filmmakers in the area, um, you know, local filmmakers, even international filmmakers, people who are from areas that don't have a lot of exposure. You know, and I mean, even especially here, yes, everybody's got YouTube, but if you want to get your project really noticed, unless you're in Florida, and even Florida, not so much anymore, but Atlanta, LA, or New York, you're just not getting noticed. So they, they put together the Bedford International Film Festival to give these aspiring artists somewhere to showcase their work and a chance and an opportunity to get noticed. And now they're actually moving into even more um, training and offering classes and things to try and help them with their art and help them bring along the projects that they're doing. So it's a really great organization. I got hooked up um, for their first film festival, which I think was about four years ago. Um, and man, I just, I kind of fell in love with the town. Um, it's a really beautiful area. I mean, Virginia is all really beautiful, but it's an incredibly quaint, small town, beautiful scenery, incredible people. And um, I just kind of fell for it. So we decided to put together this event and it's going to be um, kind of like a cooking show. It's going to be one of my cooking classes. These are the kind of things I actually teach where I go into someone's house and I cook for anywhere from six to 12 of their friends and I teach them four to five dishes in a style that they want you know we we pick an ethnicity or we pick I've done ones for kids I've done ones for busy moms where it's like 30 minute meals or we just pick a theme and we stick with that so I don't know if you remember the old Emerald show where he'd be cooking and then he had like you know, 10 people around the island with him that he'd interact with and he'd cook directly for and they got to eat and try all the things he was cooking. That's what we're going to be doing. And then we're also selling tickets um, in the audience so that they can just watch the show, um, but they won't be right up front eating what I'm directly cooking. What they will be doing is the Blackwater Creek event and catering where we're going to be hosting it. Their chefs are actually going to cook my menu and are going to be feeding the rest of the guests as well. So it's a really great charity event. It's going to be a ball. It's going to be some great food. You'll learn some great techniques and some stuff. But it's also going, not just the Bedford International Film Festival, it's also going to be benefiting a wonderful, wonderful organization called the New Freedom Farm. And this is also in Virginia. And they work with first responders and veterans who are dealing with PTSD and trauma. And it's basically equine therapy and rural therapy. You know, they work the farm with their hands. They get to form relationships with these animals. They're assigned to take care of different animals, um, and particularly horses who have been known to be incredible therapy animals. And um, it's just a place where these, these men and women can go and see the results and the benefit of their hard work, you know, in, instantly and something that they can feel good about. And they see amazing results helping people with PTSD and other traumas. And it's just, it's a really great organization. So those are the two that we're going to be donating to. Um, 
and anyway, it's going to be a great event. It's uh, the 17th and 18th of December at Blackwater Creek uh, Catering and Event Center, and uh, it's in Virginia. Um, tickets are on sale now, and even if you can't come, if you want to support either of those organizations, they're accepting donations for that as well. So it's two great organizations we're hoping to benefit, and I get to do my cooking for a whole bunch of people, which is just going to be a blast. I will for sure list all that information in the show notes on my website, aaronvosick.com, because that's it's a very valuable organization. I've not actually heard of that specific organization before now, but um, I, a lot of people might not realize that with PTSD specifically, there are people who just are become so locked in themselves they have trouble connecting with other human beings, but when they have the chance to connect with an animal whose expectations are different, that becomes a game changer for them. That becomes a, a, a path forward they didn't have in any other way, shape, or form. Exactly. So that, yes. That's why I love places that do this kind of work, and uh, New Freedom Farm has been doing really great work out there. So we wanted to be able to support them as much as possible. So yeah, if you guys, you know, if you got a passion for that, please donate. If you can come, please come. It's going to be a wonderful event. Um, more tickets we sell, the more we're going to be able to donate to both uh, of those great organizations. And this should hit the feed before that starts up, so the timing will be perfect. Awesome. And as far as that film festival goes, I, I looked over the stuff that was in the, I believe, 2021 festival, and I'm seeing some movies there that looked absolutely amazing. I wish I could get a chance to take a look at them myself there. Yeah, but unfortunately, I wasn't able to be there for the 2021 because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, it was a much smaller, I don't think they held live um, judging and everything like they did the previous years. But uh, it is a festival that I've been tied into. And now that things are calming down um, next year when they do the festival again or this coming year, um, I'm definitely going to be there for that because I love getting to see all the new projects. And like you said, there were some really, really good projects. So there, there's some great aspiring talent out there in all fields. I mean, this goes for everything, not just film, mm -hmm. that don't have the opportunity to get noticed. So anything that can, you know, not only help push them further down that path, but give them some exposure is really, really valuable. It's one of the things that I keep surprising myself seeing this show is that every area has its own independent film community, especially the ones you don't expect to have an independent film community. What's mm -hmm. it out like? In, what's it like in Bedford? What, what brings people to Bedford to want to film? Um, well, I think honestly, wanting to film there is the, the atmosphere, the, the scenery, the beauty, um, again, you have, it's almost like a, a city out of time. I mean, you really are stepping back a few decades to this quaint, quiet, slower paced, beautiful place. And I think that really draws a lot of people. You can't recreate that, you know, um, it's, you can try and you can do a pretty good job, but when you have it there at your disposal, um, I think that's really one of the big things that draws people there. And again, like you said, there's independent film communities in, in just about everywhere. Um, all Bedford, you know, the film festival is trying to do is give them an opportunity to get noticed and give them more exposure. And it's really, really fortunate that somebody is doing that because the, I'm looking at these projects. Like I said, there's, there's quality material here. There's stuff that people do should get out. And we have, the Netflixes of the world right now where that are getting so much attention. And a lot of people have said to be, why do we have such trouble giving voices to the, the, the newer artists? This is, this is where those voices are. This is where you can look for them. 
that's that's absolutely it you know unfortunately even though we have more options now we have all these different streaming services we have hundreds of channels it's not like the old days where you know you had four production houses and three channels and options were limited for how many shows or films they could buy well now you have almost unlimited options and yet they still seem unwilling to give newer artists and newer creators a chance you know they'd rather put some schlock on that's not that great but has got somebody's name tied to it rather than putting in somebody who's unknown but has done a really brilliant piece and unfortunately it just seems to be the industry still right now so every opportunity for young artists and aspiring film you know filmmakers and creators to be seen and to get their work out there um, for criticism as well as enjoyment, you know, so they can learn, so they can get out there and make it better next time and, you know, keep improving. And you think of a, a film festival, the ones that come to mind are like South by Southwest, Sundance, mm -hmm. and but there's a huge value in a smaller community that is truly having a, a community event over this where the whole town kind of pitches in and, and says, this is, this is something that we can do to boost everybody, not just uh, the, the people going off to Hollywood next week. Yep, absolutely. And that's what's really important because that's where those, no, those next generation of you know, filmmakers are going to come from. That's where we're going to find you know, these great up-and-comers, our next Steven Spielberg, our next you know, Ron Howard, our, however, whoever you want to say. I mean, that's how we find these people you know, is by giving opportunity to great, young, unknown talent. In the few years you've been working with them, has there been a, a moment where you've really had a great encounter with a filmmaker or a fan while you're uh, attending these events? I've had a couple, actually. Um, there was a young filmmaker there who actually suffers from a lot of health issues who had done a documentary my first year on um, kind of some of the conditions that she dealt with and stuff like that. And she was absolutely, not only was her project amazing, but getting to meet her afterwards, she was a huge fan of the show. So she almost fainted <laughs> in meeting me, which is one of the very few times that has ever happened. And we ended up, me and my fiance ended up talking with her and her mom for hours and hours, dancing and taking pictures and just having a ball. That was really one of the more special ones. That does sound like a really great experience for her and for you, because just because it's, it's hard sometimes to, to get a chance to actually see how your work has affected somebody else, especially if it wasn't something that happened last week. Oh, it is. And I'll tell you, I mean, I dealt with that a lot after the show went down, um, you know, for years, especially because I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. So what I heard outside of the industry was all negative, you know, friend, you know, guys at school, guys at the, the, everybody just ridiculing the show or ripping on me. And most of it was in lighthearted manner, but I looked at the show negatively for a while after the show went down, not my experience on it, just the show in general. Um, and it took me a long time to realize the impact we had had and the amount of people whose lives we actually did touch by making them laugh and brightening their day once a week, you know. Um, now I see it in a very, very different perspective. You know, we're, we're going on, It'll be almost 40 years since we started <laughs> in three more years we're at 40 years since we started and 
people still not only remember the show, they remember it fondly and they want to show their kids, you know, the episodes and they remember where they were or they remember, you know, uh, I'll give you an example. I wrote a book uh, with a very dear friend of mine who was a wish kid and his wish, he was the only one ever, all the wish kids that came through Growing Pains, he was the only one who came to the set to meet me. And the reason he wanted to meet me was because he envied my character so much. I was the one character he wanted to be the most like because his situation at home, he was born with a heart defect, the health issues and many other things caused his parents to divorce. His dad left on his fifth birthday. Um, you know, his life was a shambles. He wasn't expected to live to see 20 years old. And when he watched our show, he saw this kid who had everything he wanted, this big family that loved him, these parents who were always there for him, you know, both parents who were always there for him, brothers and sisters. He was an only kid. He always wanted, and not an only kid, but his sister was much older than him. He wanted, you know, siblings who were closer in age that he could interact with. He wanted to be, he wanted Ben Seaver's life. And seeing how much our show meant to him and the fact that he could have gone anywhere in the world. I mean, he was granted a wish by the Starlight Foundation. He could have chosen anything in the world to go do, and yet he chose to come meet me. It was one of the most humbling things that has ever happened to me. And it really, looking back at all of that later on, as we started writing our book together about our experiences, how our friendship formed over many, many years after that. Um, it was just, it was a realization of how much impact even a fun, goofy show like Growing Pains can have. It was a cultural thing that I think we're having a little trouble getting our head around these days because we don't all watch shows at the same time. We mm-hmm. stream them out We and we don't really have schedules anymore. And we don't really do that style of comedy as much as we used to. Nope. We, we and, don't and really. Go ahead. I'll tell you, that's one thing I hear from people more often than not is, God, I wish we had more shows like yours back on television. You know, it's something we've moved away from that classic, idyllic family sitcom. Um, but I hear more, I mean, a hundred times a year at least from fans that I meet in person that say, you know, God, I wish they would put more programming on like the shows we got to see back then, like Growing Pains, like Boy Meets World, like Who's the Boss, and all these shows that people connected with back in the 80s that weren't so focused on the reality and dysfunction of family life. They looked at more of the, you know, the idyllic setting and how we were all there for each other. And they tried to stress that more than how we were driving each other insane and wanted to kill each other, which seems to be more of the storylines of modern day family, you know, sitcoms and shows. And and there's a place for that, but I think we kind of enjoyed going along for the ride when it came to, I'm just spitballing here. We we got to see, you know, set up a a kind of a silly situation with some characters which were a bit broad but likable. Mm -hmm. I think that was it, that we always had these likable characters we wanted to root for. And no matter how it turned out at the end of the day, we felt a little bit better at the end of the show. Agreed. And I do think that's missing a little bit today still. 
um, there is a place for that. It doesn't need to be everything like it was. I mean, I love, you know, the dark shows and things that are more dramatic and more on the realism level, but there still really is a place for that idyllic type of a show. I, you know, I just said earlier, there's so many options now with so many services and a, a glut of content. There can be that type of show out there. There's not a reason for it not to be there somewhere. I agree. And I think it would really connect with a lot of people nowadays. I think there's a lot of people nostalgic for that type of a show. And I think it would connect. I think it it would give something else. I don't know if the younger generation who's so used to all this different stuff, a little more in your face, a little more brash, I'm not sure how quickly they would connect, but the feeling you get from watching those old shows, there's still a lot of kids who weren't even born when we were in reruns, much less when we were first on, who are starting to watch the show and streaming, who love it and enjoy it. So people still connect even to this day. It becomes, uh, or it became rather, you know, when you'd come back to work or school after the show was on and you could talk about it, it was a, a way you could socialize, just like getting together at a film festival or getting everybody together for dinner there. It becomes just that one thing you can bond over when you might not have any other way to start a conversation. Absolutely. So I think we can say this conversation has come full circle there. <laughs> okay, Jeremy. I'm going to make sure I put the links to that charity and the film festival and your cooking and all your information on the web on the show notes on my website, AaronBossig.com. Where else can people follow your adventures on the internet? Um, well, you can find me on Instagram at the real Jeremy Miller and on Facebook at Mr. Jeremy James Miller. Okay. I will make sure all that gets in there as well. Jeremy, thank and you I, so much. I can have my I can have my fiance um, send you the QR codes for that if you want. If you okay. want to put those up, it's easier sometimes than the link. She already has them made up and stuff. That works. That's perfect. Okay, cool. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I'll be glad to have you back anytime. Sounds great. Thanks, Aaron. I would like to thank Jeremy for being my guest today, and I would like to thank you for listening. Let me explain why I'm so excited about the Bedford International Film Festival. I really feel like we're at a point now with independent film where the technology is no longer the limitation, nor is having the talent out there, the people willing to put in the work to make something great. And as I've gone through the internet and I've talked to independent filmmakers, the plans are there, the projects are there. What they're seeking now more than anything else is a location or a group of people who are willing to have faith in them and to give them a place to create their art and show it when it's done. I've gone to BedfordFilmFest.com. That link is available in the show notes. I'm looking over the winners from the 2020 festival, and each of these strikes my interest in a completely different way. Uh, we have a movie about the Virginia Writers Club first hundred years. The Art of Japanese Forest Bathing, a documentary on undersea wildlife in the Antarctic, and at least one movie that does a deep dive into a very small slice of history on the unlikely story of the lesbians of First Friday. Um, I honestly don't know a whole lot about that particular incident, but I think this movie would be a great way for me to be educated. 
So I'm definitely going to keep an eye on the Bedford International Film Festival, and I'm going to look into any other places I could see these movies that won in previous years, because I feel like the reason this festival exists is to bring it to the attention of people like myself. And before I let you go, I do want to remind you that the Sci-Fi Coffee Company is still available at sci-fi-coffee.com. They've got the same great blends, and they're cooking up some new stuff. You should be able to get 10% off your order by using the coupon code HUNGRY, as in Hungry Trilobite. Please subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.